I'm sure that you in your house or in your family have Christmas traditions, those things that tend to be the same from one year to the next. And I guess it's the same here in the life of our church. One of the things that normally happens at this time of the year as we approach Christmas is I park whatever series we're working our way through. If we're working our way through a book of the Bible, I leave that to one side and we do a little mini-series as we approach Christmas. Sometimes it's looking at part of the Christmas story in the gospel. Sometimes we look at the prophecy, some of the prophets, and what they were saying about the coming of Jesus. But this year, it's different. This year, as we approach Christmas, we're sticking with this series, looking at the life of David, and for particular reasons. Two things to keep in mind as we look at David's life once again. Always remember that this is part of a much bigger and greater story, that David is just one link, albeit a really big link in the chain of God's salvation plan, and that all of this is heading in one direction and towards one person, the Lord Jesus Christ, and His arrival into the world. But not only that, also that David's life helps us to see what Jesus is like. After all, David is an anointed king of God. He's God's chosen king, and he points us in so many ways to a much greater perfect king, Jesus, who is able to do what even David, who had a heart for God, was unable to do. And we get to see this in this wonderful story that we read together in 2 Samuel chapter 9. Turn with me again, please, in your Bibles to 2 Samuel 9, as today we meet David, the forerunner, David, the good king, who gives us a glimpse of what the perfect king of kings would be like. And we're going to think about David's life at this moment. We're going to think about this story today using two words. Those words are covenant and compassion. And I want you to remember that this series, looking at the life of David, is different from other series that we have here in church. It could be described as a thematic series. So, we're not starting at chapter one of a book and working our way through two, three, four, chronologically right the way through the events of the book, but we are jumping around a bit and looking at different aspects of David's life, and so therefore looking at different points of his life along the way. And what that means is that today there is a big leap forward in time from what we were thinking about last time when we thought about David and his friendship with Jonathan. So we come to the first of these words, and that word is covenant, and we're going to to think a bit about what that word means and why it is a word that is such good news for us here in church this afternoon. But as we come to this word and as we come to this story here in 2 Samuel 9, we need to dig into the background a bit to find out all that happens as we get to this point in the story. Last time, we started to think about David's incredibly close friendship with Jonathan. And we discovered that they were more than just good mates. 
This is how their friendship is summed up. If you go back to the previous book, 1 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 1, we're, we're told that Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. Now, that's close. And what makes the closeness of their friendship all the more amazing is who Jonathan is. Remember that Jonathan was a son of Saul, the sworn enemy of David, the guy who was making David's life a complete misery. So that throughout David's reign, for so much of his life, his life is dominated by this conflict with the house of Saul, even after Saul is dead and gone. So if we just get a, a feel for that, if we then come into 2 Samuel, and we're moving about a bit here, if you can keep up with me, if we come into 2 Samuel and we look at chapter 3, verse 1, we get a summary of what was going on. And we're told there that the war between the house of Saul and the house of David lasted a long time. And David grew stronger and stronger while the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. And by the time we get to what we were reading today in chapter 9, well, the house of Saul is all but gone. It's the house of David. It is David who has won the day, and he is a strong king of Israel. And you would think that David, having dominated the house of Saul, would want to get the upper hand, and yet what is David's instinct at the beginning of chapter 9? And this is the key verse for us today, so please look at it again. Second Samuel 9 verse 1, David asks the question, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? And given what we've just discovered about David and about the house of Saul, that's not what you would expect. When we reflect on all of the hassle that David had throughout his life and reign from the hands of Saul, and when you think about the upper hand that he now has, what you would expect from David at this point is, is there anybody left so that I can get rid of him, so that I can wipe these people out once and for all? And yet, what do we get? Who can I show kindness to? Which of Saul's relatives is still around so that I can show him God's kindness? And why does he say this? Why does he think this? Well, he gives us the answer at the end of that verse, that it's for Jonathan's sake. This relates back to this incredibly close friendship that David enjoyed with Jonathan. And when we looked at that friendship last time, we only started to scratch the surface. It's a friendship that in the years that followed grew even deeper and it came under the most intense pressure because of Jonathan and his link to Saul. These two guys were under so much pressure, and their friendship was tested so much that they made a covenant with one another. And because they both had a heart for God, they made that covenant in the name of the Lord. And if you look back in the previous book in 1 Samuel chapter 20, you get to see the covenant that they entered into. And the key thing for us today 
is verse 42, right at the end of that chapter. Because we discover there that this covenant of friendship between David and Jonathan didn't just apply to them, but it would apply to their descendants as well. And now here today, in 2 Samuel 9, we get to see the outworking of this covenant. We get to see David's covenant faithfulness, how he keeps his side of the deal. That he actively looks for someone within that family whom he can show great kindness to. And here David's helping us to see what Jesus would ultimately do. The anointed one of God the Christ. When we think about this word covenant, we remember the bigger story that this particular incident is part of. All the way through the Old Testament, we read a story of a God who is committed to His people, who makes covenant, enters into covenant with His people, and who always, always keeps His side of the promise. And even at times when it seems that He's not doing that because His judgment is put against His people to bring them back to Himself, God is being faithful to His covenant. But at the end of the Old Testament, a bit like our children's talk today, the people are left wondering, well, when and how is God going to ultimately keep His covenant? And the answer is Jesus. The son of David, the one who came from the line of David, the one who shed His blood on the cross to establish a new covenant with people, those who belong to God through Christ. So that later in the book of Hebrews, the writer to the Hebrews is thinking about how Jesus establishes this new covenant with us who are God's people today in Christ. And he describes Jesus as the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. I wonder, is that true of you here today? It can be in Christ. Our class that, that David was faithful in his covenant with Jonathan, even after Jonathan was dead, he still took it seriously, so that he looks for someone within that family that he can show God's loving kindness to. But people, how much greater that the Lord has been utterly faithful in keeping His covenant made with His people to the point that He Himself came into this world and He shed His blood for us. But the other word that we want to use to think about how David shows us Jesus here is the word compassion. Who did David show this covenant faithfulness to? Well, here we have one of the most beautiful stories in Scripture. And when David asks if there's anyone left 
that he can show kindness to in Saul's household? Well, because he is the most powerful man in Israel, because he is the king, straight away the wheels start turning and people are looking to find the answer. So that this old servant of Saul, Ziba, appears before the king and he's able to tell him, yes, there is one person left, Mephibosheth with the tongue twister name. He is the one person. He's the son of Jonathan and he's still alive. And I want you to think with me about Mephibosheth for a few seconds. Hopefully, I don't need to say his name too many times, but Mephibosheth, his reality, the circumstances that he was living through was he was crippled in both feet. That must have been a big deal because it's mentioned twice in this chapter, in verses 3 and 13. And when you begin to think about it, it would have been a big deal for this guy in that society and that culture and that time. He was unable to support himself and his family and work. And there was a terrible stigma that came with disability at that time. In some ways, Mephibosheth was a nobody from a family who were now losers. And certainly, that's the view that he has of himself. If you look at verse 8, as he appears before David, he must have been completely overwhelmed. And he says, what is your servant? In other words, who am I to be here that you should notice a dead dog like me? It seems that Mephibosheth had come to view himself in the way that others looked at him. And when you add into that that he was part of the losing family, the family of Saul, and the only one left in David's powerful kingdom, he must have felt that he was a dead man. And then that prompts us to think about ourselves and who we are in comparison to the Lord. We certainly know our great need, our complete dependence upon Him every single day. And we have a sense of our unworthiness. We read of it in Scripture that outside of Christ, we are dead in our sins and in our transgressions. And yet, look at how David treated Mephibosheth with such great kindness. Verse 7, this is beautiful. He says to him, don't be afraid, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Look at what he does. He invites Mephibosheth to eat at his table, to be part of his family effectively. He restores Saul's land to him. He gives him back all of the land that had been lost to that family. But more than that, if you then look down the rest of the chapter, knowing that Mephibosheth would be able to work, would be unable to work that land himself, he puts the arrangements in place. He goes back to Ziba, this old servant of Saul, to make sure that Ziba's family would farm the land for Mephibosheth. And there's this great way aside there in verse 10, if you look at it in the brackets, Ziba had 15 sons, 
and 20 servants. In other words, there were more than enough people to make sure that Mephibosheth would be well catered for and he would benefit from David's loving kindness. So, what a wonderful story of forgiveness and redemption and restoration. But this is much more than just a nice wee story that appears in the middle of the Bible. In this story, David the forerunner lets us see what Jesus would be like. Because we think of Jesus' ministry here on earth, we think of what it was like when Jesus was confronted with need. What are we told of Him in the Gospels? Filled with compassion. And that's good news for us. Jesus filled with compassion. And I'm so struck by the first thing that David said to Mephibosheth in verse 7. Understandable words given the rivalry between these two families. His opening line is, do not be afraid. Yes, you're standing before the king. Yes, your granda was my arch enemy. Yes, the rest of your family have been wiped out. But Mephibosheth, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Do those words sound familiar at this time of the year? They do to me. Isn't that the message of the first Christmas? When the angel appears to a terrified girl who's told that she's going to give birth to a child, and the message of the angel, Mary, do not be afraid. The angels appear to the shepherds, and the shepherds are awed by the sight of them, and the opening line, do not be afraid. We're here with good news. Is that a message you need to hear today? A message that could be true for you and Christ? And just think about what God has done for us in Christ. In Christ, He invites you to share at His table. That's grace, given what you and I are like. In Christ, He has renewed and He's restored His people. He will put right all that is wrong in this sinful world. We have got to believe that. And in Christ, God Himself has made the necessary arrangements. He's taken the steps to make sure that we are provided for with what we ultimately need so that He Himself came into this world. Jesus, God in flesh, to die for us. And as we come to the end, there's this wonderful summary of what happens to Mephibosheth in this chapter because of David's loving kindness. Look at verse 11. So Mephibosheth, who's the loser, the guy who was on the wrong side, the guy who was crippled in both feet, he ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. That amazes me. It's not that Mephibosheth went from being an enemy to a friend of David. He went from being an enemy to one of his very sons, regarded by David in that way. 
And folks, this is what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you. This is how it can be for you in your Father's presence, where in Christ, because of His righteousness placed upon you through faith in Him, you can be regarded as one of His sons, accepted by God in that way. That's amazing. Have you experienced this loving kindness of the Lord? But David not only lets us see what Jesus would be like, David shows us what Jesus' people should be like, those who are God's sons, His children, through faith in Christ. That if we have experienced this immense loving kindness in Christ, then we should be quick to share it with others. And we should do that in this Christmas season above all else. Today we have thought about David, the forerunner, the one who comes ahead of Christ and who helps us to see what Jesus would be like and what it is that Jesus came to do. And David knew so well in his own life what it was like to receive the loving kindness of the Lord himself. He was the guy who had a heart for God. He thought in the way that God thought. He shared his outlook. And he benefited from his covenant. And he benefited so much from the Lord's compassion. So that back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, he prays to the Lord and he tries to get his head around what it is that's revealed to him about where he would fit into this great salvation story, about the one who would come from his line, this descendant who would be the everlasting King Jesus. And David marvels at it as he prays. Second Samuel 7 verse 18, he says, Who am I, sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, Sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. Covenant and compassion. There are two words that can sum up your story as well. When you look to the one who was sent, the Lord Jesus Christ. May it be so in this Christmas season and beyond. Amen.